Welcome to MobyCast. This is the second episode that we're re-releasing from back when we told Chris's personal story of starting Viathan, which was a software startup built to create one of the first internet scale databases. And you'll you'll get to see how his work early in the early 2000s, late 90s was instrumental to what later became, you know, the databases that we count on today. Anyway, the reason that you're listening to this is not just because it's a fun story, but because, you know, we're asking you to trust us here at MobyCast to tell you what we think is the best way to do distributed systems and cloud native development. And what better way to learn to trust us than to listen to how Chris got started in this whole world. And Chris really is the expert at this, these things. And I like to poke and prod and make sure that we get the best of his expertise out. So thanks for listening to part two. Welcome to MobyCast, a show about the techniques and technologies used by the best cloud-native software teams. Each week, your hosts John Christensen and Chris Hickman pick a software concept and dive deep to figure it out. Welcome, Chris and Rich, episode number 40 here. Hey, Rich. Hey, John. What's up, guys? Great to be doing another MobyCast. So last week, we left ourselves on a bit of a cliffhanger. Chris was about to take the dangerous step of becoming an entrepreneur. And then right before he told us what that was going to be like, we pulled the plug on the, on the MobyCast and said, let's wait a week. So here we are. And, you know, we've talked about, we're talking about, you know, definitely go listen to last week up, last week's episode, but we're talking about DynamoDB and AWS and and Werner Vogel's talk, uh, his keynote, and how that sent Chris down a bit of a trip down memory lane, and and just how history kind of repeats itself. So I think you know the the point of this story is is really that this is what software is all about is is these cycles and history repeating itself and and essentially solving the core problems that technology is meant to solve or software is meant to solve, but with new tools and new techniques and new um, you know bigger challenges and, and at bigger scales. So last week we talked about Werner Vogels' keynote um, and why AWS, or sorry, Amazon, not AWS, but why Amazon decided to shift away from using a relational database for a lot of the querying and, and data that they, they need for their Amazon.com website. Um, and then Chris told the same story, uh, but, but from six years prior to AWS having this, or Amazon having this problem um, via Microsoft and MSN. And it kind of ended on a sad note where Microsoft killed Chris's project, uh, his pet project where he was building his own internet database and kind of from a lack of ability, a lack of vision, I would call it. Clearly, Chris was solving a real important problem that eventually did get solved. Uh, but before it gets solved, Chris is going to go out on his own and and found a company about it. So Chris, let's let's take it away from there. It's I think it's March eleventh, nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, it's a little it's a little bit before then. I left Microsoft at the end of ninety eight to do this. When okay. I left when I left Microsoft, we um, myself and Marco, we were working with patent lawyers at Microsoft to draft up four patents related to this work that we did on how do you build an extensible storage layer for internet style data? So 
those were, we had, you know, several discussions, sit down discussions with the le- some of the, the legal team there at Microsoft, the patent lawyers to put that stuff together. But I, I couldn't wait. I wanted to go solve this problem now that the, the project had been, had been basically terminated. So I left Microsoft um, at the end of 98. <laughs> those patents, those patents would still have to have the eyes out of the T's crossed. I think there was like one subsequent meeting that um, Marco, Marco stayed um, at Microsoft for, for several years after that. Um, and so the patents were officially filed, I think in March um, of 99, even though I had left at the end of, of 98. You know, what's so, sort of funny is that that same year I was working on a thesis for my computer science degree where I was trying to see if I could get some kind of neural network into a robot car. I didn't get the neural network in. I did get some computing into the robot car, but it's it's sort of funny because this year also at reInvent during one of the keynotes, Deep Racer was announced, which guess what? It's a neural network in a robot car. <laughs> so we both we were both working on things that eventually AWS would announce in mm-hmm. 2018. Yes. We're talking about in 2018 reInvent. Yeah. Yes. The cycle continues. <laughs> yes. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, so 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 I left. Um, it was it was kind of weird because like looking back, like I had no hesitation whatsoever, um, and I was I had only I hadn't even been there quite three years yet. Um, so I was less than half vested in all my options. This was a a peak time for Microsoft stock as well. I, in the the less than three years that I'd been there, the stock had split three times. It was crazy. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Every quarter when we had the earnings call, it just blew it out the door. And it was just, it was a Wall Street darling. And the stock, it literally went from, I think my my strike, my original strike price was something like um, $10. It ended up being like $10 a share. And by the time I left, it, it was um, $100 a share. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So it's, it's, but I walk, I mean, like I said, I, I, I walked away from over half that. It was without hesitation, right? I was kind of right, like, right. man, that was either that was either ballsy or stupid. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in retrospect, I have zero regrets. So left Microsoft at the end of '99. Um, started, you know, like um, I teamed up with a with a former um, Microsoft colleague, Stephen Anderson. He had left Microsoft. We had been actually office mates for a while there. Um, and he had left Microsoft about six months prior to me. He went to go work for a, a software development company as their um, CTO and helped them grow their business. And we got to talking, and I told him about you know what was on my mind and uh, wanting to go deal with this problem and build and build solutions for it. Um, and he was excited by that as well. So we decided to, hey, let's go, let's go do a company. Let's go, let's go, let's go make this happen. This is also, so 1989, right? This is the height of the first internet bubble. Like, it is just so frothy. So, Mm -hmm. listeners out there may remember things like pets.com, right? And may remember things like Starbucks investing like $300, $400 million in furniture.com like, or, or I don't know if it was, it was maybe it's living.com right it was like it was an online furniture <laughs> website right where it was like they obviously like things like logistics of like how do you ship the stuff um and not like end up you know eating all your margin with with stuff like that so 
it was it was a really interesting interesting frothy time the net net is like literally within six weeks of me leaving microsoft we were um steven and myself we were in the private back room of one of the the high-end steakhouses in downtown seattle we're in the it's, it's a this this wood paneled room with this massive wood table we're all sitting around and having having a lunch there's um there's four or five venture capitalists along with Stephen, myself and, and another individual. And, you know, one of the VCs is like, yes, well, we, we would like to invest in you. And so as a term sheet, um, it's upside down, face down on the table and slides it over to Stephen. And I'm just thinking, it's like, this is so unreal, right? Like this is like straight out of a movie. Um, right. And, you know, Stephen turns it over and it's like, here's our, our seed round term sheet for $700,000. So, you know, I'm looking at this, I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going to get $700,000. Like we don't even have, we have no assets, right? We have, it's just basically Steven and myself, it's an idea. It's a pitch. We haven't even, we haven't generated a document yet. We don't even have an executive summary typed out. Like it is literally just a pitch and here it is like, we're going to get our shot and we have, capital like immediately right out of the gate to go start executing on this so pretty exciting it was just you know boom we're we are off to the races and we were just on a mission at that point just hit the ground hit the ground running so the whole concept was um you know how do you build this scalable database layer and how do you do how, how do you do things like partitioning and sharding and clustering and how do you make it highly available how do you make it so that it's a a completely scale out architecture well um, and at that point you you had kind of already done a lot of work on it for microsoft obviously you couldn't use that code anymore but you'd probably already learned some of the things that you wouldn't have you know you wouldn't want to do again right like oh yeah if i were to write that again I do it yeah, a little differently. Absolutely. I mean, so so the the work at Microsoft, some of the the core concepts. This was building on some of those core concepts, but you know, the actual implementation and 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 really how it, it was it was different, right? It was it was rotated, you know, at least ninety degrees, if you will. the 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 work we we're doing at Microsoft was really geared towards. Uh, it was a different persistence mechanism. Um, so we were primarily thinking about file-based storage instead of that was the database. The file system was the database. Uh-huh. Um, it was dealing with things like XM- XML was the document format back then mm-hmm. and, until JSON came along, right? So we, we actually had XML. So there there were differences and there were some different um, kind of goals, but absolutely the the work with the startup company was and what was um, the name of the startup company so the name of the startup company was was viathan okay. um and you know naming things is one of the hardest things in the world to do and so like when we started a company it was like you know we have to come up with a name for it and you have to do things like you know copyright searches trademark searches you have to do things like domain name searches right and, and you know, see what's oh, the luxury of doing a domain name search in 1999. <laughs> well, you know, I so actually, brilliant. yeah, I mean, you know, then it was like, um, <laughs> it was, you know, there was infinitely more choices. However, it was still difficult. Right. Um, right. Like all, you know, it felt like all the good ones were taken. 
And it was very hard to come up with something. So it was almost like it, it kind of felt like the, you know, the couple in the hospital that has a, has a baby and it's like two days after the birth of the baby and still don't know what to name it. And they're like, well, you, you need to fill out this paperwork for the birth certificate. So pick a name. And so Steve and I, we were in an elevator riding the elevator up into our uh, lawyer's offices to draw, to draw up the paperwork for incorporation. And uh, that's, I kind of came with this idea. I was like, well, what about, um, what about Viathan? Cause I was the, the code name for what we were building. Um, we were calling it Leviathan because Leviathan name of a monster. Um, very, very big lurking underneath, underneath, you know, the water. Literally um, <laughs> from, Moby Dick, which <laughs> here we are on MobyCast. Whoa. <laughs> Again, it comes full circle. Everything is related, people. Everything. Right. Yes. yes. And so I said, Let, let's just chop off the L-E. Viathan. We'll make up a, a word. And Stephen's like, I love it. Sounds great. We run it by our lawyer. He's like, I love it. It sounds big. It sounds forceful. It sounds strong. So that's how we named the company. So, so Viathan Whoa. was the name. And off we went. So we, again... You know, how do you, how do you store this internet data? You know, it's not really relational. How do you deal with things like partitioning, the sharding? How do you cluster it? What are all the components that you need into that to go build that out? And so we spent the next few years uh, doing exactly that. We, you know, lots of lessons learned over the, over the process. Um, We got a lot of things right. And we got a few things, you know, really wrong. At the end of the day, that's what kind of hurt us. But, you know, I think the the net, the net net there was that uh, this was still early days. And so even though Microsoft, companies like Microsoft at that kind of scale had this problem, the rest of the ecosystem wasn't there. And mm-hmm. there, there wasn't, an, it's still, the internet hadn't grown to the size um, where there was enough people with that pain um, mm-hmm. and they, they needed um, a solution today. They, they knew they were going to need it a few years down the road, but, but not necessarily today. So I have a um, couple of clarifying questions though. You, you had said at one point um, you were talking about file system, you know, files on the file system storage and XML. And I, I just wasn't clear when you said that, whether that was Viathan that was using XML and files on the file system or whether that was Microsoft. Mm-hmm. So what we were doing at, my, at Microsoft, Microsoft was like, let's not have a database, like let the file system be the database. So, okay. it, it, so the project name at Microsoft, we actually called it IFS, um, which was short for Internet File, Internet file System. Yeah. yeah. Oh, File Store. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So um, basically, it was backend code on that. That at the end of the day, is using. In a way, you can think of what we were building was really similar to S3. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. what I was thinking it's about. It's just super, super similar to S3, if not almost, again, verbatim. Um, and so that, that, was, that was the work at, at Microsoft. With you were Bio- building a data lake, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's essentially. Um, yeah. Because that's what this, the, all this data could, could be stored in files, and, and they, those files were actually XML documents. Right. 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 So that, that was the whole, the whole gist behind that with Viathan, we, we took a different tact and we said, you know, let's actually, there's some good things about relational databases in that, you know, they, they are highly performant. They have very, um, you know, they are built to be, to, to support, um, acid. So let's leverage the best and design around the, the, the negatives of them. 
So okay. with Viathan, we actually used relational database as the persistence store um, instead uh. of instead of a file system, but still sticking with this concept of you don't have like these multi-table relationships. They really are like these bits and blobs of data that are independent. So build in the con to, to support the concept of things like sharding, partitioning, clustering, but use a relational database as the actual persistence store. Just kind of wanting to dig around in that idea a little bit. I'm just imagining that one of the things about um, doing that is like a database uh, sort of writes everything to a set of files that it keeps open. So when you use a file system, you maybe have to go open and close files, and that takes a little time, and it's a little slow. Whereas if you have the file handles already, you're, they're just sitting there ready for you to write or read from the file, then things everything gets faster. So is that part of what you were thinking? Like we can make this faster by by using uh, like something like a database that that just is good at at you know pulling information in and out out of files that it already has access to. And there, it was it was multi. It was there's I guess that and the, yeah that and you get the um, the asset transaction stuff for mm-hmm. free. Yeah. So things like locking um, mm-hmm. transactions, um, and then also just the you know going to market with something like this to mm-hmm. say like we're built on top of these industrial yeah. strength systems, right? That is a is a is a net win as opposed to saying like we're building something completely from scratch, you know, right, based right. upon the based upon the file system. That makes sense. Yeah. So interesting that like you started, you kind of built a document database. On top of relational databases, so you would get that the asset compliance, and that and that this year, 2018, Mongo announces asset compliance. Yeah. Yes. Now, Dy- <laughs> and DynamoDB now supports transactions. So, yeah. Craziness. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. Quick interruption to ask you to please go to mobicast.fm/show-notes and sign up for our show notes. Those give us a chance to send you the show notes once a week. Um, they're detailed outlines that have all the information that we present in the show, which makes your email searchable. Really cool. And we definitely don't use that address to spam you. In fact, we can barely remember even to send out the show notes every week. So thanks for signing up. It's, it's Again, like I said, it's interesting how far we got with Viathan. And um, so that work, we, we did get rather far with it. We went through several iterations. That work led to um, a few patents being issued as well. Before you talk about those patents, mm-hmm. um, one th- another thing I've never asked you about this is, did you have any kind of significant customers doing any important real work ever? It's okay if you say no. I mean, you could have just been too far ahead of the, the market. Or I could just lie, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, we had, we had IBM, we had NASA, we had Bank of America. No. Oh, shoot. You, I, you had me going. I was like, well, that's freaking cool. That's great. <laughs> now, so, again, this, this kind of gets into some of the, 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 the trials and tribulations so, and some of the big lessons learned that we had. So, so I, I kind of alluded to the fact, like, the ecosystem wasn't ready for it. And so, mm-hmm. you know, at that point in time, like, you, you didn't really have much. And, like, there wasn't much in the way of dynamic programming languages. I mean, almost everything was compiled, right? It was basically C and Java were your, were your options. Um, yep. And for the most part, you were writing those as like native applications. You were, you were, if it was web-based code, you were doing uh, 
ISAPI extension, you know, ISAPI extensions, which is basically a plugin model for Microsoft's internet server. Yep. But you're writing C code um, to to go into that, and then you were your C code was was using thing, you know, SDKs. Like you weren't this whole like concept of API driven development and RESTful APIs. Like it really wasn't a thing at that time. Right. You were just writing code the way that you always had with just you know linking to an SDK and, and calling, you know, that API. Um, and it was doing its own marshalling um, over yeah. the network um, and unmarshalling and whatnot. So in order for someone to adopt this technology that we're building, right, it's not, it wasn't just, you couldn't just like plug it in and turn it on and it just works, right? Like they actually had whatever applications that they had that were storing and retrieving data, those applications had to be modified, right? They had to write to our SDK so that, it could actually leverage the the, the data layer that we had, we had built. Um, so that was a big big source of friction. Um, I can't imagine there being an entity Java Bean for Viathan database. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. Um, uh, EJB didn't even exist. Uh, you know, enterprise. Okay. On the enterprise edition of Java didn't even exist at that point. Okay. Um, yeah. So like, this is you know two thousand two thousand one. I don't know. EJBs maybe have been there by then, but maybe, maybe you were too far up in the northwest, too close to Microsoft to hear mm-hmm. about it. Probably, probably. Yeah. Um, so, so there. So we, you know, we we did have this issue with like, okay, there's one like we're asking you to replace your database with with us. Right. Like right, that's yeah. that's a huge thing. And then two, you have to go and rewrite your application with our with our new SDKs and APIs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's definitely some work there to be done. We spent a lot of time, I mean I personally spent a lot of my time on planes um, going and visiting um, folks down in, in in the valley in Silicon Valley, working on just that of getting like ba- basically beta customers. Um, right. and You're a pilot. It's a, yeah, pilot. And so it, it, it was a tough, tough sell. I mean, we went and talked to a bunch of super interesting companies um, you know, that were doing they were at the top of their game. So we went and we we did go down and talk to IBM and some of their engineers. Um I was talking with um, EMC quite a bit. Um, I uh, uh, we went down and talked with LoudCloud, and uh, for people like this is going in the Wayback Machine. Um, LoudCloud was what Mark Andreessen did after he left Netscape. So it was okay. yeah, yeah. all about data center, basically giving you data center management software, um, yep. right? <laughs> and so. Uh, you know, we were we were trying to get in at LoudCloud um, to say like, look, this needs to be part of your offering to folks that are trying to run, you know, internet scale businesses um, in the software that they need to do it. So the other thing that we ran into is like we didn't get a lot of time to do this. Um, mm-hmm. So from so so from kind of like that point in time of being in the back room of the Metropolitan Grill, steak lunch, term sheet for seven hundred k to Oh no! Like this thing's just died. Um, that was about two and a half years. I mean, we we built a lot in the first eighteen months, twenty four months, but it still wasn't. I mean, we weren't at version one yet. Like this was very mission critical, very difficult software to build. Lots of components to it, lots of things to to deal with, and and sometimes the last twenty percent. Like this is definitely not the case. Like the last twenty percent is eighty percent of the work. Almost, it felt like. So we ran into um, timing issues and, and politics and um, 
expectations on um, between folks that we brought in to help round out the management team that weren't comfortable in the space, um, investors managing their expectations. At the end of the day, we just kind of, we ran out of time. Um, mm-hmm. And so we weren't able to, to really bring that to the, all the technology and the IP that we created. We, we didn't get the, the running room to, to bring it to market. We I think to be fair to you though, also it was, you did end up getting a little bit more, cash at some point right we could sit here and probably spend hours to kind of like going through like that whole because it was a wild 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 ride um we we did go on to raise more money we at the end of the day we raised um 24 million dollars total um in bc we we grew from six zero to 60 people yeah Um, i just wanted to give you the opportunity to say that without having mm -hmm. to bring it up yeah yeah so um it was yeah it was like we we hit the ground running. It was like z- we went from zero miles an hour to 150 miles an hour in a matter. It felt like of weeks, and we stayed at that rate, you know, for the whole duration. And so much drama and intrigue. So much great engineering was done, and technology was created. Like I said, a couple patents came out of this. Yeah, talk about the patents. Sure. Yeah. The you know, um, I actually just went and, and looked at this. Um, the other day, because I was just kind of interested, especially after hearing Werner describe the the trials and tribulations that he had, that which led to the creation of, of DynamoDB. So I went back to the to the primary patent that resulted from the the work that we did at Viathan. The title of the patent is Internet Database System. Thought that was kind of interesting because when Werner was going through his slides, he described. Uh, DynamoDB as the trying to find the the notes here for how we actually extensible storage system. No, no, it was. I will. I will uh, come back well, to this. We'll add it to it, the it, note. Yeah. Yes, yes, because it was. It was one of those things where it's like, oh my goodness, like it, like literally is the exact same, you know, terminology. It's just. Oh, okay. Um, so he, 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 for internet scale applications. Yes. Yes. So so Dyna, so DynamoDB is like this was the database for internet scale applications, and it's like the title of our patent was internet internet database system. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so similar. It's hard and to yeah, and it's kind of interesting. Like if you so just kind of like looking at the the one thing that kind of that stuck out to me is that there are. 199 other patents that now cite this as prior art, um, which is pretty, that's pretty good for, for a patent to have that many other patents reference it. That's actually a pretty high number. You know, a lot of patents will have a handful or 20, 30, 40. Um, so to have 199, um, that's quite a few. Um, so that's kind of, that was really kind of cool um, and yeah. interesting to see that so many so much follow-on work was kind of citing this as prior art and building on top of it. But even more interesting was to see of those those other patents that cited this as prior art, there are, try to, I, I came up with like 61 of those belong to Amazon. Hmm. Um, so almost, like, what is that? Like, that's, that's, that's just about a third um, of all of the, the other patents that cite this belong to Amazon. Um, and then if you look at those, some of those, those uh, patents, 
the titles of those Amazon patents, I mean, they are like the components of DynamoDB, right? Right. Um, it has to do with with partitioning and and sharding and request routing, um, and so it's just it's just super super interesting. I'm not. You I know, just I, realized though that I'm confused by that because I guess I don't know the patent system well enough. When you reference something as prior art. It feels like if you're building on top of an existing patent, shouldn't you be paying the patent holder a license fee or at least getting in touch with the patent holder and think, can I use this? So if you, if you are actually licensed, if you are using it verbatim, um, then yeah, you need to license that. Um, but you know, the whole, I think, you know, the whole idea behind the patent system is basically, you know, you're sharing your, your intellectual property so that others may learn from it and uh-huh. extend it. And in return, you get the the assurance that no one that anyone else that basically um, can't steal your idea verbatim, right? But it but derivative work is is something different, right? And so all these 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 other patents that cite this as prior art, like that's derivative work. There has to be it has to be different enough so that it's not duplicating, it's not stealing, it's not okay. copying what was done, but it, it needs to be an extension of this. So just like you know, there was patents that was done at Microsoft for that internet file store project, and there were some similarities to it. The the work that was done at Viathan, it's derivative work. It's not copying that, but it's it's kind of taking some of those principles and now taking it to the next level, right? What? Okay. You know, so okay. it's it, it is new. It's it's new. Um, it's a new invention, right? Okay. So, Got it. So yeah. So that that's what's going on here. So these are and and. This is all part of the patent process too. When you file a patent, you're you're you need to go and and do a patent search to see okay what are similar patents, and this kind of helps the patent examiners as well. They're going to do it um, when they examine it to, to go look into the the patent database to see where you know what other patents are similar to it um, in the same same kind of categories and whatnot, and make sure that there's not overlap. Right? They will. Because you, you will have this as well, right? Like if there is some overlap and the patent examiner has has issues or questions with it, then there will be back and forth, right? And you may have to either explain your way out of it or actually change um, your claims, right? They, they will right. definitely meet. Because at the end of the day, it's the claims of the patent that dictate what it is that you that you get to keep as yours, right? Right, as right. Thing. Yeah, so, and, and what can be enforced. Right. So I, I think, you know, this little side journey on patents, I think the, the important thing to take away is, is kind of what we're going to get into over the next couple of episodes is basically, Chris, you literally did a lot of the groundbreaking work for, um, what would become DynamoDB. And then what would, what, and that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of episodes. We're going to really look under the hood at it and see what it's all about. And, uh, um, I think we're going to base most of that material on, on a, talk that we you and you attended at reinvent yeah so i mean i i uh, was super excited because at reinvent they did have a um a deep dive on the implementation of DynamoDB. so mm-hmm. um something that amazon aws has not, never really shared before is like okay what is the architecture um how does DynamoDB actually work under the covers mm-hmm. and so um so i was super interested to 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 see you know what they did there and how they architected it um and again it was one of those things like wow, this is total deja vu. Like, this is exactly what we did at Viathan or a lot of the exact same problems. Um, and 
some of the exact same solutions. So it was, it was very interesting. So looking forward to diving, diving more into that. Great. Um, well, thank you for putting this together, Rich. And thanks for uh, just fantastic stories over the last couple of episodes, Chris. Um, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, guys. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to that episode. You heard Chris Hickman, John Christensen, that's me, and you also heard Rich Statz, who was our original producer and the person responsible for the idea of MobyCast. We miss him, but we still work with him in other parts of our business. Um, and also a special thanks to our producer, Roy England, and we are real people that you can find and really communicate with, and we're available at mobicast.fm and also on Reddit at r slash mobicast. See you next week.